Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Page One Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And thanks for joining us at the Page One Podcast, where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, how they got into the industry, and try and get as many hints and tips as possible. And uh, this is a very special episode of uh, the Page One Podcast because it's not part of our regular scheduled seasons. <laughs> it's uh, released today because uh, today is the award of the Desmond Elliott Prize. Yeah, the Desmond Elliott Prize is an annual award for the first novel written in English and published in the UK. It's a £10,000 prize and it's named after the literary agent and publisher Desmond Elliott. I've got some Desmond Elliott facts here for you. Mark, oh, hit us up with the facts, yeah. So if I had to describe Elliot, I probably would call him uh, charismatic, witty and waspish. He, and he lived his life with verve. I think it probably fits. Nice. He drank only champagne. He only crossed the Atlantic on Concord. And he lunched at Fortnum and Mason. So it's a sounds like interesting a, life. Yeah, yeah, sounds like a, a good guy to have lunch with, I think. If <laughs> <laughs> he's paying, absolutely. And yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, today is the is the announcement of the of the prize winner, but uh, we have been very lucky to be able to speak to the three shortlist nominees um, on this podcast. So we've spoken to them. They're a bit shorter for each one than our normal episodes, but uh, obviously adds up to a longer episode probably in total um, and the first guest that uh, we speak to is A.K. Blakemore who is the author of The Manning Tree Witches um, A.K. Blakemore is uh, also the author of two full-length collections of poetry and this is her first novel obviously given the prize um, and it's a really uh, interesting uh, historical fiction novel that she's written the second interview is with Rebecca Watson, who is the author of Little Scratch. Uh, she was listed as one of, of the Observer's 10 best uh, debut novelists of 2021. She's had her work published in The Guardian, Granata, uh, Granta, elsewhere. Um, she was shortlisted for a whole bunch of short story prizes. And her book, Little Scratch, is a really interesting tale. It's, it's a, a day in the life of an unnamed woman who... It's it, it kind of go every single thought that pops in her head from morning till night is put on the page, and it's this kind of stream of consciousness, uh, no letting up, and just from point A to point B, right there on the page. And it's a, a really interesting, yeah, story. very experimental, but yeah, uh, really very, interesting novel. Yeah. And um, our, our final guest is Ellie Williams, uh, the author of The Liar's Dictionary. Um, Ellie is a lecturer at Royal Holloway at the University of London and has previously uh, published a, a short story collection, A Trib and Other Stories, which won the James Tate Black Prize and the Republic of Consciousness Prize. Um, and uh, her book is all about um, false entries in dictionaries, which is apparently a real thing, which uh, yeah. we discussed that I, I didn't know. I never heard that thing. until here, but it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, but apparently they, they put it in, in the dictionary, so if anyone tries to copy it, they can say, well, that's what we wrote because we made yeah, up that word. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So um, it, all really interesting chats, and we, we talked to them about, uh, you know, how they got started in writing, but also about these these really special pieces of work and what they feel about being nominated for this great prize. We'll uh, play a quick advert for our 
writer's notebook and then we'll get straight into it. We won't be back at the end of the episode because this is not... Some might be pleased to hear that. Yes, exactly. Probably everyone turns off anyway. <laughs> um, and we'll be back uh, with regular episodes in the start of our season eight in a couple of weeks. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Do you always want to be a writer? <laughs> um, no. Uh, I had a quite eclectic range of things I wanted to be. Uh, vet, a marine biologist, another <laughs> classic. Um, actress briefly, ballet dancer. Uh, no, um, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't kind of a sort of lifelong thing, I guess, but, um, my dad was the bookseller. Um, so I did grow up surrounded by stories, um, <laughs> as people say. Um, and I felt like kind of writing and books were always, is very much um just a kind of given in in my life mm -hmm. like it or I almost didn't need to say sort of like, oh I'm interested in reading I like reading it was just um me and my dad what we did mm -hmm. um so I suppose it was kind of um a natural transition in, into writing I guess when I when I got to be a teenager um and it just sort of happened without particularly intending for it to be the thing I did, yeah. And and am I right in saying that you sort of started in the poetry world? Is is that where you started your main main writing? I mean, how did that come about? Did you send stuff into to magazines and stuff like that? Yeah, so um, I published two full length collections of poetry mm -hmm. and some pamphlets as well. Um, and 
Yeah, pretty much. I, that started when I was maybe around 15, 16, that sort of um, teenage girl discovering Sylvia Plath. This was the age of DeviantArt on, on the internet <laughs> and um, posting things online. Um, and I was really, really fortunate um, to win the Four Young Poets of the Year competition. Um, and that was, I think, it sounds very trite, but kind of completely life-changing in terms of um, the people I, I met. Mm -hmm. sort of the other finalists and things like that but also just in terms of uh a kind of um fairly early in my career sort of vote of confidence or um sort of material evidence that someone other than myself was interested in what I was doing I suppose um so yeah and then then I just sort of carried on yeah (laughs) and and obviously the Manning Tree, which is, is your first book of fiction, um, as opposed to um, the poetry books that you've written. But, um, and I kind of wondered about the crossover there. Did you always want to, to move into fiction or was poetry, or is that something which you never really thought about and poetry was kind of what you focused on completely at first? Um, I So I, I had never really, like, kind of in, intended to write a novel. It wasn't, I didn't have a kind of plan towards that. I, I in fact didn't really think of myself particularly as a natural prose writer because plotting and structure and things like that, I think as with many poets <laughs> are not really things we have an affinity with necessarily. <laughs> it was, I was in sort of a fallow period in terms of my poetry. It had been quite a long time um, since I'd, I'd written anything that I thought was a value at least. Um, so the Manning Tree Witches in some ways was start, kind of started as an experiment um and i think i found it quite liberatory in that i was sticking so close to a story from history that had a beginning and a middle and an end already mm-hmm. um it was uh more a question of kind of adding adding meat to a skeleton that was already there so the things that i had considered in the past would kind of trip me up, up when trying to write a novel um didn't seem so inhibiting like, oh, God, you need to plan it. Oh, God, you need to have chapter. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not the most organised of people in that sense. Um, so, you know, history did my, my organisation for me. Um, <laughs> so did you did you spend a lot of time yeah. researching the, 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 the period in the story? Yeah, yeah, quite a lot. I mean, um, so I had kind of a head start in a way that was nice because my dad lives in Manning Tree. Right, okay. So I was familiar with the area nice um i i could see it in my mind and, and that's kind of i suppose a fairly essential thing when writing historical fiction um and i studied early modern literature at university so i kind of had a grounding in the lit- the literature of the period um and sort of the the basic politics of the civil war um the the vibe the vibe <laughs> of the day <laughs> um but yeah, yeah, I had to do a lot of a lot of reading around the Witchfinder General um, and uh, sort of the, the the legal ins and outs of how things worked. Um, so yeah, I, that was almost. I think I probably almost spent more time doing the research than I did at the document in some ways. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, well, I mean, that's it's an interesting question, isn't it? You know, how accurate do you need to be? Uh, in the end of the day because you know is it in your view is it important to be really 
slavishly accurate is maybe the wrong word, but that but you know really accurate or or are you happy taking liberties if it suits the story or the feel of a scene, etc.? What what's does does art trump fact? Yeah. What's the most most important? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I, I it's kind of one I've thought about how I would answer. Partly because I anticipated when the book came out, I might be doing events in person and having kind of. Um, uh, military historians coming up with their <laughs> not a question yeah. um, to ask me why I had the wrong type of shoes of or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and I, which obviously didn't happen in the end, and I'm very grateful. Um, not grateful I didn't get to do in person events. That would have been nice, but you know, grateful I haven't been waylaid. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought about this a bit, and I think kind of in some ways the conclusion I came to was that I feel like accuracy and authenticity are different things yes. um, when it comes to historical fiction and what I wanted to aim at in the end was authenticity rather than accuracy mm-hmm. um, so you know I use a lot of modern language I don't have people using these and thous um, but it felt to me at the end of the day more important to build what felt like an authentic portrait of the life of a girl in her late teens in Puritan Essex during the Civil War. Um, and in some ways, that aim for the authentic portrait kind of necessitated letting go of accuracy mm-hmm. at, at certain points if you wanted to write a story that, that felt uh, relatable um, and powerful to a modern reader. Um you know, perhaps for a more experienced author of historical fiction, there, there would be less conflict there. Or, you know, perhaps I will find as I write more, uh, that conflict diminishes. But but that was sort of how I felt about it. That um, I don't necessarily like historical fiction where there's too much the being and knowing. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a bit like laughing or something. I find it distracting as a modern reader. So... Yeah, that was sort of my attitude. <laughs> yeah, no, we've had a we've had a few authors on the podcast who have written historical fiction, and that that distinction between accuracy and authenticity is something that they brought up as well. And I think definitely, personally speaking, you want that authentic feel that you, that takes you into that moment, but it doesn't need to be absolutely a hundred percent historically accurate all the time. I think it, that seems to pull you into the book more. I think. And you you you, yeah. you alluded there to the fact that um, you're not a massive planner. <laughs> um, so, I mean, how did you go about writing this novel, having written poetry before? What what was your process? Uh, well, if the disadvantage of coming from poetry is uh, the lack of organisation, I think an advantage is that um, you tend to look at things um and and sort of construct scenes in a way that is quite cinematic almost mm. um or or I felt I did so while I didn't do the kind of Hillary Mantel thing of having like a little folder for every character and um sort of setting things out like a, a TV detective from the 70s um I I did have quite quite vividly in my mind a, a lot of scenes that I knew I wanted to write um you know almost playing like little five minute sort of mini movies mm-hmm. in my head where um 
I, I could see the movements and I could see the characters and the lighting and, and kind of all of that. So I suppose that's a sort of an internal internalized planning um, in some ways. Uh, and I also transferred my my preference for just having massive documents full of notes from absolutely everywhere lines and and kind of scraps that I would find all over the place that I wanted to incorporate um and ended up being quite disorganized and distracting in and off of um but just in terms of kind of having a bank of stuff I always find quite helpful when I feel like I've, I've hit a wall mm-hmm. um so I guess that that was kind of as, as far as my planning went in some ways <laughs> and um once you'd you could have had your draft and you were you had it over to the with the editor and you had a, and you had notes back for for further redrafts of all the book is it a similar process you 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 found it when you were editing it as you would edit the poetry you know is it is the editing process similar or is it completely different <laughs> uh in some ways completely different because i mean my my editorial experience with poetry uh you know very often your editor is only the second person after you who is seeing everything all together in the world mm-hmm. and i found that sort of the primary function of a poetry editor particularly the kind of poetry i write which is wrote which is quite sort of um fragmentary and and um strange and i guess you you could call it like postmodern or, or whatever is um, saying, you know, they highlight a section, they say, what what exactly were you trying to say here? And you say, oh, I was trying to say this. And they say, that makes no sense to anyone other than you. <laughs> um, and and that's, that's kind of mainly in my experience what a, po- what, what a poetry editor does or what my poetry editors have done. Um, whereas obviously in a novel, hopefully it's not getting to the stage of editor- editorial still with bits in it that makes sense to know one of them. So, yeah, quite quite a different process in a sense. And I mean that also because, you know, the stakes are higher. Like my poetry books did, did fine for what they were, but ultimately not that many people are going to read them. And I think that's sort of... Uh, something you go in knowing I'm not complaining by any means um but it allows a certain you have a bit more room for self-indulgence I guess from an editorial perspective um you know but yeah maybe not if you're with like favor or something but in my experience uh which I like I like to indulge myself (laughs) (laughs) and and was it was it ever you know having having written poetry obviously writing collections of poetry and stuff, but to write a novel and the length of it and, you know, nearly every author we've spoken to says, you know, you get to that bit in the middle of the book and suddenly you start doubting it all and have to fight through it and all that sort of stuff. I mean, did you experience all of that? Was it difficult? Did you ever think, God, why did I start writing this book? Uh, Yeah, 100%. Um, And not even at the middle, like... It's uh, like a, an almost maybe monthly experience. Um, I think so. I, I work as well. Um, and 
in some ways I think that kind of helped me not to get in over my head like as much as part of me would like to be able to work all day every day I had a few hours in the morning and a few hours in the evening mm -hmm. so there was a time that came around where I had to put it down rather than force myself to keep writing mm -hmm. and I think sometimes those feelings come on when you're forcing yourself yeah. when sort of the material is gone for the day or the week mm -hmm. um and obviously everything at that point that you're producing is going to be a bit crap and feel a bit crap. <laughs> so I think it was an advantage to have some distractions, some inbuilt distractions that are needful to my continued survival. <laughs> There's that horrible guilt, isn't there, of, of thinking I'm not writing enough and should be and, and, and making yourself write stuff when you're probably, it's just going to be garbage. Whereas having a day or two yeah. off to recharge isn't a bad thing. Exactly. There's a really good um, Dylan Thomas quote about it, which I can't remember verbatim, but it's something along the lines of um, the best writer can only write for two hours a day. And after that, you just get into trouble, um, which good. I think is probably pretty much me or only a couple of hours of real work anyway. <laughs> and then maybe like an extra hour of sort of changing words. While yeah. Also yeah. Looking Comma and take it um, again. Yeah. 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 But I mean, that's work um, of a sort. Uh, and I think also it, it's try and it's something everyone says, but um, trying not to get annoyed at yourself when you only, you know, 200 words, 250 words. Yes, it's a bit pathetic, but it's it's certainly better than nothing. And if you write 250 words every day for a year, you've got most of a novel there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's definitely something I learned with the first one, that when you're, and then I'm now feeling better about the second one and, and easier to sort of stuff those feelings of this is inadequate and rubbish down. Um, because even if I can only bring myself to write 100, 200 words in, in a few hours, I, I now can see how quickly that, that sort of stacks up into to something a bit more meaningful. <laughs> And of course, uh, the novel Managing Butches has been nominated for the Desmond Elliott Prize, um, and you're on the the short list of three for the main prize. I mean, how do you feel about that? How was that news? Uh, like uh, totally unexpected, which I know everyone says, but but really totally unexpected. Um, and with such incredible books as well. Um, really, just kind of um. Yeah, dizzying. And again, that, that sort of, that vote of confidence that what you're doing has value to someone else, I think is is sort of uh, the, the most valuable part of uh, the prize institutions in terms of writers, uh, sort of psyches. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm just really, really delighted. And I mean, honoured because... The long list was so incredible. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't. I would. I didn't think I would get any further, and was very happy to be on the long list. Like, even even that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's true, isn't it? Because writing is 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 so often quite a solitary thing that getting some sort of affirmation, um, you know, in the form of a, a, a nomination or or something like that, can help massively in terms of your own self-confidence and self-belief and do, is there any other ways that you think the the prizes like this can help authors and at the start of their career particularly i mean do you think these th sort of things are important um yeah i mean uh 
I have I have elements of cynicism about price culture, mm-hmm. <laughs> which um, it would be kind of uh, disingenuous or whatever to disguise because I happen to be up for one, I suppose. <laughs> um, I suppose, and this is more coming from poetry, uh, where there's much more of a concentration of the prizes within a very limited pool of writers, um, which I think can... Uh, you know, certainly prizes can still do good, but that kind of concentration ends up rewarding a certain type of writing in a way mm-hmm. that I don't think is necessarily helpful. But um, there's so much more of a range of prizes and prize-giving institutions when it comes to prose that I think that, that is less of a problem. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I think money like like every single writer, basically the issue now. Well, not every single writer. The vast majority of the issue the issue is money, mm. um, and you know there is funding available um, in dribs and drabs in amounts that are large and in amounts that are medium sized. Um, and you know I've I've experienced you know, my second my second poetry book uh, won uh, the Ledbury Fort. Uh, Fort Prize uh, for Best Second Collection um, and that changed my life as well in, in quite a, a material way just that in you know I, I, I rent in London I work in an office job and for the first time in my life if my laptop died on me I wouldn't need to worry about how yeah. I was going to replace it mm-hmm. yeah. um, so I wish there were mechanisms for I wish there were mechanisms that somehow felt like more democratic or whatever for, for making sure that writers who need money get money. Um, and you know, something, something to think about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, institutions like the national center for writing in terms of the support they offer to writers, uh, the society of authors, uh, the arts council, England are kind of invaluable in that sense. I think it's easy to forget that, um, for every young author who is putting together their debut, they need somewhere to live. They need something to yeah. write it on. Um, and it's harder and harder uh, to get those things um, and also be able to write, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And um, I'd read on your Twitter feed recently that you said that you were going to continue to write poetry, but you didn't want to publish it anymore. And I wonder if you wanted to chat a bit about why, why that was and why, why you wanted to move into books full time. Um, partly I find, uh, the poetry scene increasingly infuriating in some ways, uh, which has a bit to do with what I was discussing earlier about prize culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, I've just, I've just sort of felt no desire to really engage with, um, the administrative aspects of, submissions and things like that in, in quite a long time. There's Mitski now instead of Dylan Thomas. Um, she, the Mitski, the musician, uh, gave an interview about how people kind of feel like the more successful you are, the more time you have to do the thing you actually enjoy, whereas she found it was kind of the opposite. And the more successful she became, the more people who knew who she was actually the more time she ended up spending on administration around the thing Mm -hmm. that she really liked doing, i.e. making music in her case. And I guess it's sort of a similar thing in that 
kind of in some ways the more success you have the more stuff it breeds for you to do that isn't actually writing in, yeah. in a way that I think can be quite frustrating um particularly because writing poetry is now you know perhaps it's kind of not my my bread and butter anymore it's something that I've I've been enjoying doing here and there um, I don't particularly want to, to make it into work for myself again at the moment. Yeah. At the moment. Is, we'll is it more of a, yeah. in the poetry scene, is there more of a emphasis on you need to be winning prizes and, 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 and really get your name out there in, in ways that you don't quite have to do for writing fiction, you think? Yeah, and um, performing, which, I mean, obviously that's not an issue right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... Um, you know, performing, which has never necessarily been sort of my natural media. I mean, you know, I enjoy it and I think I'm a decent reader, uh, but I, I have great anxiety about <laughs> getting on stages. Um, and that's much more expected of a poet than it is of a prose writer. Okay. Um, and no, not necessarily that you'll be winning prizes, but also, I mean, ultimately... Um, there's there's hardly any money in it, apart from again, you know, maybe a few writers who are with the 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 publishers at the very top. Um, it is not a way that really anyone can sustain themselves, and I love that about the poetry scene in some ways because the variety of people, uh, poets as a group, are much much less culturally sort of monolithic yeah. than than writers are. Um, and a lot more varied culturally in terms of their class backgrounds um, because I think because there is a knowledge that there is kind of no money and it's other people who do it for the large part do it because they love it Mm -hmm. uh, rather than out of any sort of um, sense of this is how I get rich, this is how I win. Um, Not that most prose writers do that either, but I think, you know, when money gets to be involved, (laughs) um, you know, uh, but it does mean it doesn't necessarily seem when you are trying to fit writing into the sort of the nooks and crannies of your life uh, that poetry doesn't seem like a necessarily uh, the most economical use of your time. <laughs> but it- <laughs> so um, you alluded as well to the fact that you're writing your second book just now. So where is there a release date for that? No, nowhere near. <laughs> okay. Um, I actually, I finished maybe the first third of it this morning. Right. Okay. So that nice. was nice. Um, yeah. Again, I, I came I came to the manuscript at maybe like 7am with my cup of coffee and there were about 200 words left for me to finish the first section of the book. So I just wrote those 200 and then I was like, ah, it's 8pm, but that's me done for the day. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, and then went and had a fag instead. Um, and, but yeah, no, I think probably quite far away from that happening. There's there's a lot of, um, there's a, I need to do more research on this one. It's about a part of the world I know far less about right. and a time in history I know far less about. Um, so... I will need to be traveling to places that I cannot currently travel, for instance, um, you know, research trips. So 
So yeah, um, but I'm I'm kind of writing it anyway with what I do know and what I do have in the hopes that by writing it, what I need to find out will reveal itself to me. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, a long way away, a long way away. But watch this space. Excellent. Look forward to that. What was the last book that you read? Oh, I'm reading now um, Till by Daniel Kelman, um, which is historical fiction um, set during the Hundred Years' War. It's translated from the German. Um, and it's it's sort of based on uh, German folk legends about a sort of jester called Till Uhlenspiegel. Um, and it's a uh, really dark and meaty and kind of stinky historical fiction, which is what I like and really brutal. Um, and it was one that I was in Piccadilly Waterstones the other day and I'd kind of forgotten that I'd seen when it was out in hardback and really wanted. So then I saw it in paperback and I was like, yes, this is for me now. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I'm reading at the moment and really enjoying it. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, what about the last film that you watched? It's probably something really embarrassing. Can I remember? The, the last film that I watched. What was the last film that I watched? We were going to see A Quiet Place at the cinema, but then we didn't. So it's not A Quiet Place. <laughs> <laughs> I actually can't remember. I'm rewatching Mad Men. Well, that's oh, nice. That, nice. That's, that's, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, that's so, a good one. Yeah. That's, a, that's a fantastic show. Yeah, and the um, the very, very last thing we always do is a quick fire, either or. And um, I always say there's no right answer apart from one. So we'll just jump right in there with the first one and say TV or cinema? Uh, cinema. Uh, Night Owl or Early Bird? Early bed. Fancy restaurant or a takeaway? Uh, takeaway. Uh, and last one, uh, <laughs> real book or ebook? Real book. Always a real book. That was the easiest one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was actually the incorrect answer. <laughs> Did you always want to be a writer? Um, yeah, I, I think that there was the kind of impulse to write. Um, I don't think I ever thought I was going to be a writer. I thought it was something I would kind of do quietly and privately. Um, and I think only over the last five years that I realised that actually, yeah, this could be a thing I could do seriously. And, and did you, you started out in journalism, is that right? Is, did you take the route through that? Um, yeah, so I actually did, when I graduated, I did one year working in book publicity. Right. Um, and then I went into um, journalism, but initially just basically in a kind of administrative role, um, but with freelancing on the side. Um, and then um, I kind of started doing a bit more editing and writing. Um, and now I work as assistant arts editor at the FT, um, now part time, but I was doing it full time. Um, yeah, and so, and I guess freelancing was really my kind of first 
proper professional public facing writing mm-hmm. and and did that sort of uh, work in journalism and i suppose editing other people's work and stuff did that help with your own writing as well in terms of your your fiction writing I think so in a way. I think in a way it was kind of um, more of a permission giving. I think I'd, I'd mistakenly thought that what I wanted to be was a journalist, which, I mean, I am a journalist, so it obviously wasn't a mistake. But um, I think that I kind of saw that as a cover for where my interest in writing was. And kind of by freelancing, doing all that journalism, I could I could see that it wasn't really doing what I wanted, mm-hmm. as in that was still something that that didn't exist. I wanted to be doing, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, it was a kind of practicing ground. Um, I was also doing a lot of book reviewing um, early on, and so obviously that is is really kind of recognizing, you know, taking apart a book and mm-hmm. you know challenging yourself to be very concise and and how to use words. So. I think that that definitely was like very good practice, but at the same time, they're kind of uh, madly different spaces, I think, yeah. writing generally. And once you kind of realised, right, you know, I want to work in this book, this is what I want to start doing now. Because I think I'd read, am I right, so you started working on your lunch hour, you know, or, um, you know so, so you had this kind of, kind of thing, right, okay, I'm going to get this book done. And what, what was the point, you know, did you have contacts in the world for finding agents or what did you have to go from scratch and just saying stuff out to everybody? What, what was the process there? Um, well, so yeah, I started writing uh, in lunch breaks um, and actually I'd, I'd written something before Little Scratch um, and then decided it, it it was kind of a bit unclear as to what it was genre wise or whatever. And it, it, okay. just, it wasn't quite right. Um, and so as a kind of distraction, um, I decided to write a short story for the White Review Short Story Prize because the deadline was kind of a couple of months away. And I felt like their criteria was quite similar to the kind of writing that I wanted to do and was doing. So I wrote a short story for that prize um, in my lunch break. <laughs> well, in lunch breaks, plural. Yeah. Um, and th- that was the kind of first thing I wrote of Little Scratch. And quite quickly after I'd submitted the prize, it was clear to me that that was not a short story. That was a book. Um, So I just kind of made time and kept expanding it from either side because it was, it was a lunch break of um, the book. Um, But I actually got an agent before I finished the book. Um, I didn't have any contacts or anything at at that point. I knew no one at all in publishing, Um, but um, the prize I did get shortlisted for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so suddenly I had for the first time fiction out there. Um, and my current agent um, read it. And I, I mean, I kind of, I sent it around to some agents and was kind of, I, I guess, just trying to like, form some relationships in some way and, you know, just say who I was. Um, mm-hmm. And she was, she was really interested in it. And I told her that it was, you know, I basically pretended that it was it was more of a um, book than it was at that stage. And she was like, well, I'd be interested in reading it when you're finished. Um, and she kind of just took me on from then and just waited for it. Um, yeah. And so then I just spent, this was kind of at the beginning of 2018. And I spent the rest of that year writing it, you know, before and after work and lunch breaks, the weekend. And I finished it at the end of 2018 and sent it to her. Um, so it was it was a very fortunate process in that, before I'd even finished the book, I knew that someone professionally was waiting yeah. for it. Yeah. And and how do you know, you know, we've, we've had this chat with the other folk in the podcast before about um, 
knowing when a book's finished or instance, but but in your case it was almost going from you've had a short story and you're like mm, there's more here than just a short story this is a novel length tale i want to tell how do you know that what 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 is it that tells you there's more here i want to explore yeah um well so because the because the short story was uh so it's first you know immersive first person and that that voice was kind of a very loud first person voice and i, I guess initially it was just because it kept coming back to me um, and I very much didn't, I didn't feel finished. I think it was a very like intuitive thing where mm-hmm. I was still very interested in that character and kept, I don't know, sort of lines would come to me and I was just like, there's, there's obviously something here. And initially it was, you know, I didn't know it was going to be a book. I just knew it was going to be something more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was kind of just, I didn't want to make it too intense. I was just like, look, I sort of said to myself, look, just, just see what happens. And so yeah you know, by doing that in kind of stages of just, just pushing on the bounds of the stories they're writing a bit before, a bit after and seeing how that felt. Um, and then from there, you know, because I don't write chronologically. And so because my impulse, so the, the book, you know, I should say the book is a day in the life. Mm-hmm. Um, so from when she wakes up to when she falls asleep, no stopping. Um, but because I was suddenly wanting to write a bit in the morning or a bit in the evening, suddenly I had this massive structural impulse. And so there was clearly like a whole day's worth of content. Um, so I had this kind of, I mean, writing a whole whole day is quite handy because I have a kind of an immediate plot yeah. structure. Yeah. Um, so I could say, okay, well, if I'm writing a day, it's, it's going to be a book, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and do you, we've not actually asked you exactly, do you want to describe Little Scratch a bit for, for listeners that don't know? Sure, yeah. So... It's the day in the life of an unnamed young woman from when she wakes up to when she falls asleep. Um, and it's inside her head. Um, and it's kind of every moment, you know, how, what she thinks, what she sees, you know, what she smells, all the kind of sensory and visual combinations of things in, in live present tense. Um, and she is a kind of, she's an unnamed woman and she's an office worker and she works in a kind of an assistant role. Um, and uh, I guess it's, it's kind of amidst what seems like quite an ordinary routine, an ordinary day. She's reckoning with a kind of psychological burden of a recent um, trauma. And so it's looking at the way in which routine and ordinariness is kind of both made into a, in a form of climax, but, but in some ways, like everything is infused by the event that she's refusing to think about. Mm-hmm. It's a I, really cool concept. So, so no, see, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really cool idea, and um, it's certainly not a concept that I've seen done. I think I, mean, I can't think of Tom Head. I think any concepts like that where it's like it's literally as from point A to point B and just a non-stop. And it's a really cool way of kind of getting in someone's head and that, playing that kind of unreliable narrator trope a little bit. And you know that it's 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 quite interesting. And you know where did where did that idea come from? It, it's it's really fascinating. I think also the, the first part of it came from thinking about the way in which we write immediacy. Um, and I, I felt like generally in writing, when we're not actually that honest about how immediate present experience works, we're very into kind of writing grand uh, exposition, grand revelations. And I, I really thought there is like a, there is a drama in present tense in genuinely how we experience everything that we don't really talk about or write about. Um, and I also thought that, I mean, because the protagonist is suffering from like a recent um, sexual assault, I felt like actually 
in some ways undramatizing that experience would be more interesting because the way in which we talk about uh, victims and survivors is often a kind of very dramatic um, and very kind of cliched way of, of depicting. So I felt like by placing her in this very ordinary structure and this very regular structure, it felt like a kind of more genuine way of exploring trauma, um, I guess, on those kind of off moments rather than like either in the moment of experience mm-hmm. or in, in a moment of climax. Yeah. And did it take you a while to find that voice that, you know, because it is an unusual um, voice in the book it, and it works really well, but did it take you a while to, to find that? Um, well, I actually like by, it kind of came to me instantly, but only because um, the kind of moment that it, the, the way I found it was I was, because I was trying to write immediacy yeah. Um, I, I thought, okay, I will challenge myself to write 30 seconds of right. live present time and, and how would that sound? And what I found was that in translating quite ordinary 30 seconds worth of life, as soon as you put that on the page, it sounds very like fixated and, and kind of what well, deeply neurotic because all of these things are not made written down. They're not made to for, for a reader to experience. They're made to be forgotten instantly. Um, and so that neurosis was just like there in, in the challenge that I set myself. Um, and so it was kind of a, an accidental, but very, very lucky fortune where I suddenly had this voice and this character um, from what was actually just a writing exercise. It doesn't sound like, especially for Little Scratch, that you sat down and sort of planned what you want to write. I mean, are you generally someone that, that, just starts a story or starts a piece of work and sees where it takes you or do you have some sort of structure in your mind yeah i'm i'm not much of a planner definitely um um yeah no i'm i'm not at least on this project i wasn't but i think because i had that very innate structure uh, because i knew i was writing a day in the life i knew that she was going to work i knew that she'd meet her boyfriend in the evening um that was as much as I needed to work out or know. And I actually felt like plotting it out would kind of take away the adventure of the writing because it because it was such a contained time structure and I had the story I wanted to relate in a kind of backwards way. Um, and because I also wanted to resist linearity and resist the kind of A to B story, I wanted the story to reveal itself in the most like natural and oddest way that that kind of stuff would appear in in a real life day um and so because of all of that I I basically uh was able to not plot and not plan and kind of write into it and I think that the whole process of writing to scratch was very instinctive there was a real speed to it um I think that's why there's quite a clear kind of music or rhythm to the book is because it was a kind of mostly written by hand very like quick intense process um the book I'm writing now has had far, far much more planning, far more planning, far more um, struggle, redrafting, everything. Um, but I think there was just something about that contained structure that just, just gave me a freedom. And, and you, you said you, do, you didn't write that book chronologically. Um, do you do that with all your work? Do you sort of just write the scenes that you, you think of or was it specific to Little Scratch? Yeah, I, I definitely don't write chronologically. Um, I think it's partly 
because it means I can kind of write what I'm genuinely in the mood for writing. Right. Okay. Um, so depending on the kind of tone, whatever that I want to write, um, that's what I'll do. Um, and I, I, I think there's just something almost claustrophobic to me about the idea of saying, okay, here's the beginning of the book and that'll keep going till the end. Um, it, it feels to me like it kind of, um, counters the idea of like creativity mm-hmm. and freedom. Yeah, it's 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 weird. It's something which I've struggled with. Um, for me, if I don't write it in the chronological order, I feel like a if that because there's times I'm like, oh, this scene isn't working. I just jump ahead and write the next scene, and I just can't do it because I feel like I don't know what I'm leading into it from. And and I sometimes wish I could just jump ahead and you know do that. And so I think that's quite a skill to be able to just say, I'm going to focus on this in the moment right now. I want to write this scene. That's what's interesting me. And, and and use that to kind of see when you fill in the gaps later what kind of story you're left with. It's quite an intriguing way of doing it. You could say it's a skill, you could say it's an incredibly lazy <laughs> be bothered to do what I want to do. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, yeah, let's just say it's a skill. <laughs> and, um, and what about um, the editing process? Are you do, do you do you get to the end of a draft and then look at it all? as one or do you revise as you go how how does that work um so for little scratch what i would do is i would write by hand um a few thousand words at a time partly because what i haven't mentioned for listeners is that the form of the book is is very bizarre um so the way in which because i was trying to depict like immediate present tense um like the the page kind of relied on that as you went down it you passed through time and so there is a kind of system to the page depending on whether it's inside her head or what she's seeing and all those other things um, in order to see the kind of simultaneity of experience and the kind of bombardment and overwhelmment and whatever. Um, And so because of that, uh, because there's different kind of channels going on at some points and on all sorts, if I didn't write by hand, it would be an incredibly slow process. And I think I would lose a lot in in the, in the kind of in delay. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I would do is I would yeah, write a few thousand words by hand and then I would, as I typed it, typed it up, I would kind of edit as I went. Um, and, and I guess I think that is a really valuable thing for me, working between the two different types of writing, um, because I, I feel like you, you see your writing differently depending on whether it's written by hand yeah. or um, in a Word document um, or printed out or on a laptop, all those different ways of seeing it feel different and allow you to see your writing slightly more objectively it gives you kind of an an immediate distance um and also uh i kind of feel like if you write straight away into a word document it instantly looks good you know i mean like it just it looks kind of professional because it, it has that formatting um and so i think it's it's harder to recognize messiness um at least at least that's how I feel anyway. Um, and so that kind of working between two different zones, um, making myself every time I write something, have to write it again to be able to get it onto my laptop um, was a very natural kind of as I go um, revision. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so for that, for Little Scratch, that was how I edited. And that was the kind of the end of the editing process. When it was in a Google Doc or whatever, that was kind of, it felt ready. Um, and it was really a one draft thing um for the book i'm working on at the moment um i'm on a second or third draft and each time i'm both editing 
sections and then editing overall and kind of doing structural work as well. It sounds quite interesting. You know, you're saying it was a kind of a one draft thing almost, and I can I can see that. Um, you know, in the final book, I can see how that would happen because you can't. You almost, as you were saying earlier, you almost want that immediate uh, thought that's uh, it, it, when it's in your head as you put it down, and that's kind of it, it's almost locked. Then you don't you know, want to tweak it or play with it too much because you maybe lose that sense of of spontaneity or something coming from mm-hmm. it. And, um, and so, how did that work with like getting notes from your editor and stuff? You know, was it was it difficult to edit it um, in terms of not wanting to change because you would lose that initial thought process? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely wasn't too precious. Um, fortunately, the, although maybe that's just because I wasn't, I wasn't challenged too much. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, the, it wasn't, it wasn't a massive editing process. The kind of the the main thing was that I, I probably added a few thousand words more to the book, um, which is basically just um, I had a I had a page of notes from my both US and UK editor collected together because they worked together. Um, and they just gave me a page feedback and it was mainly like refining a few words um, and they want, they kind of signaled a few places that they enjoyed and wanted a, like a couple more instances of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was surprisingly easy to go back in and add that stuff. I find it very easy to get back into that voice. And so, um, yeah, it, it only felt like a valuable process. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think I also, it's, it's, Although I say, you know, it was a one draft wonder and everything, when you're kind of constantly tweaking and stuff, it's kind of hard to remember how much something yeah, is revised yeah. because it just stays in the same place as the same thing. And it's such a kind of, you know, natural changing process that for, for all I know, like, you know, sentences were revised God knows how many times. Um, yeah. I think the, the bit there were bits that I knew would say as they were 100%. And those were definitely the parts where I was writing really quickly and I kind of, I could see, I, I could see that some kind of, you know, subconscious thinking had already got into these passages because I had them so ready. Mm. Um, and those are the bits which I wasn't surprised to then see. I just wanted to keep as they were. And, and of course, um, Little Scratch is, is nominated for the Desmond Daily Prize. Um, you're uh, on the short list of three. Um, how, how does that feel? <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> um, yeah, no, amazing. Really, really cool. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely felt kind of nervous when I was writing the book. I mean, not not well while I was literally writing, but kind of when I think about it, I'd be like, what, what are people going to make of this? Mm-hmm. Um, because it is strange. It does demand, at least initially, the reader's attention to believe that the system that they don't yet understand or haven't yet learned that they will and I don't think it takes very long to kind of get a handle of it because obviously it's it's mimicking kind of thought and experience and whatever um but I didn't know whether I'd be able to trust people whether they whether they'd want to trust me um so I think this kind of stuff really does does just kind of highlight that, that thought was very wrong to have um and yeah obviously just kind of affirms affirms me and affirms me as a writer yeah. and you know Mm-hmm. So much, so much of writing is pretending, and um, yeah. yeah, just just being like, yeah, sure, I'm a writer. Like, you know, this book has my name on it, but like, I'm just putting words on a page. Like, what right do I have? So yeah, whenever anyone says I'm good at something, 
as in good at writing I'm always just like thank you this is going to help me in my <laughs> in my next day's writing <laughs> yeah. and and do you think a prize like the Desmailit prize etc you know especially for authors that are starting out is it is it quite a good thing in terms of a boost both psychologically to them and also in terms of getting their name out there and stuff is it is it quite important think yeah I think so I I mean you know like being a, a debut writer is is very difficult particularly over the last couple of years particularly during the pandemic mm-hmm. where you know getting attention is is very hard and yes people are reading more than ever yes book sales haven't you know slid into horrendous numbers because of the pandemic but, but what people are buying is not you know debut no. writing and particularly not formerly experimental literary novels. Um, so any kind of attention like this is just humongous. And, you know, your your career, your whole career, your decades of writing can really be made or made difficult to continue through the kind of early support. Mm-hmm. And of, of course, I mean, I suppose in your case as well, the, the, the short story prize, uh, the White Review prize helped you you know, snag that agent and and or at least get an introduction into that agent in the first place as well. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I I really think that shortlist thing kind of like yeah changed my writing life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I kind of knew that I knew that before I'd even been shortlisted. Like, in I I kind of set a weird I, you know the way that some you sometimes have something which you become almost like fixated on, and you just kind of think if this happens, then this will be it, or this will do something. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I submitted it, I was just like, in my head, I was like, okay, if this gets shortlisted, then I'm allowed to write, then I can call myself writer. And it's, I mean, it's, it's just a completely pointless way of, of measuring worth. It's not at all advisable. Um, fortunately, in that situation, it did work out, but it could very easily have not worked out. Um, but yeah, that, that shortlisting was, was, was massive for me. And, and um, looking forward, you've, you said you're working on a on a second novel at the moment. I mean, is that the same? Is it another experimental type novel? Yes, um, it's it. It's not quite as experimental, or at least um, not quite as quite as obviously experimental. It it, it looks weird, but not as weird, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I find it quite hard to to describe the form of the second book at the moment. Um, although, yeah, it's I guess it's kind of half lines um and fragments it's um if, if you want a kind of just disc- a loose description of it um it's kind of set over five days um and so it's you know structurally more more ambitious and it it's her it's the protagonist kind of looking back at her life um because of a, a death that the book begins with which kind of undoes her um and so it's essentially a kind of five day unraveling and is that um, due out next year or is there not a date for it yet? There's not a date yet. I have no idea when I'm going to finish it um, or when I'll be happy with it or anything. So I'm just uh, going to keep writing until I know. Great. Awesome. And is the is the dream to be able to give up the day job and just work full time then as a writer? or Because I think I'm sure I read something that you're kind of part time now. And is that quite nice having that uh, consistency of the paycheck coming in but it, or would you like to jettison that completely and just go full-time writer <laughs> well my employer might not be mad if i say that i want to leave <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> take this as your resignation 
Um, nobody thought I actually am very happy with the balance I've got at the moment. So I I work um, at the FT for three days, and I have two days at the end of the week where I write, um, and I edit at the FT, and I feel like that is a very useful thing to do. I think it's very good for my writing brain as well, uh, but it also uses a part of my brain that I don't use when I'm writing. Um, I'm also, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 26. I'm not sure I really want to be writing full time yet. I think that there is a kind of, I'm, I'm not trying to kind of ring the capitalist bell here. That's not what I mean. But like, I, I think the role of editor and like being with, you know, some amazing colleagues and all these things, I think that there is a kind of use to that. And like, I think I, I gained something from that beyond um, a paycheck, although the paycheck is also very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> the formal of all the nights out you'd, you'd, you'd be missing if you, if you yeah, left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what was the last book that you read? Um, I think that's a, uh, that is quite a cool question to ask um, because there was a passage in my novel which uh, describes the protagonist being asked what book she'd read recently and then oh. her being unable to answer the question. <laughs> um, so thank you. But no, I, I actually I can answer it myself, so that's okay. Um, I've just finished reading um, Wittgenstein's Nephew, the Thomas Bernard book, um, which is really really good yeah um and incredibly short but just has brilliant voice um and yeah there's there's this great kind of stream where you'll kind of take a word or an idea and then he'll use it in three sentences in different slightly different ways in order to kind of build an idea or, or build to the next point um and he's very good at kind of the value of repetition i guess but yeah he's he's a brilliant writer excellent Nice. And um, what about the last film that you watched? Oh, God. What was the last, <laughs> what was the last film I watched? Well, as I can't think of the last film I watched now, I just don't, I mean, you put the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very mean. Um, I don't know. I've been watching those as Seinfeld recently. Um, oh, nice. I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm kind of comfort watching. Also, the football's on, so I, I don't really watch anything apart from Seinfeld and the football. Um, <laughs> I, hope, I hope that's not a particularly disappointing answer. So the next <laughs> no, no, question is, what, what, what was the last show you watched? So we'll just say Seinfeld. But there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the very last thing we always do is a super quick fire, either or, and um, I would say there's no right answers apart from one. So we'll just jump in with uh, TV or cinema. Cinema. Um, night owl or early bird? Night owl. Fancy restaurant or a takeaway? Takeaway. And a real book or e-book? Real book. Oh, that was the uh, that was the question which actually mattered in our feature, but it wrong, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunate. <laughs> Did you always want to be a writer? Um, I've always wanted to be a radio continuity announcer, so my career thus far is very disappointing. <laughs> and my this podcast is my way in, right? <laughs> yeah, that's um, it. No, I've I've um I've fallen into that stereotype of of that answer of I have always written. Um I didn't ever think it might be something that I'd be able to to spend my time doing. I always thought it might be more of a hobby, a kind of amateur 
amateur thing um there's nothing wrong with that at all i i find i still find the idea of publication quite intimidating um and my students who write i i really genuinely want them to know that it publication isn't everything the mm. most important thing is the story you're trying to tell or the way you're trying to tell it um and you will find your readers uh whether it is through um kind of chatting about your story that you want you want to write or whether um it's having a review of it in the new york times or whatever so i i always knew that i would be writing um i didn't always ever think that i would necessarily be, be a writer that was a long answer for... <laughs> <laughs> and but did you am i right in saying that you sort of started by writing short stories and short fiction yeah yeah that's right so um I I enrolled on a creative writing master's at Royal Holloway um, and it seemed like everyone else on the course knew either the novel they wanted to write or knew that they wanted to write a novel. Um, I I also thought that that's what I wanted to do, uh, but I didn't have any idea about how to go about that. So um, I wrote for the workshops every week short stories just because that seemed feasible. Uh, that was a an amount of words and a to me to my mind at the time kind of a truncated story arc that I could handle in that amount of time and get away with um and from that I started to to care a lot more about what what did short fiction mean mm-hmm. um what was the difference between a short story and a prose poem should there be a different what, what on earth was flash fiction um and the more that I got embroiled with with those questions or curious about those questions um I found myself writing short stories and concentrating on that um so the the novel is is quite novel to me yeah and you you've had some great success with your short stories you know they've been in a variety of places they've won a whole bunch of awards your your debut collection a trip won the republic of consciousness and james tate black prizes um and i kind of wondered how did you make that first step into getting your short stories out there did you approach a publication did you have an agent what what was your path in there um so i I mean, I mentioned before the masters I was on. One of the um, members of of my year group, Declan Ryan, who's a, a poet now published by Faber, um, he set up a a open mic night basically uh, for for poetry. Um, and unfortunately for him, prose writers came along too and forced <laughs> the audience members to listen to their their chapters and their their short stories. Um, and I popped up at one of those and in the audience uh, was one of the editors at Influx Press um, who approached me after the reading um, and we just were talking about short stories and I'd sent work off before to various um, public journals, publications, so the the White Review, um, which is, is based in London um, and uh, 3AM Journal, which is an online journal of um, short story and, and poetry and um, articles and reviews um, but it, I'd been very kind of peripatetic about it I hadn't been thinking about a collection of short stories I'd just been thinking on a story by story basis um, and it uh, any interest I'd had from agents after the masters they all seemed to like how I was writing but they all wanted to know about a novel so it was very um, I felt very encouraged when the editor at, at Influx started talking in terms, well, would you like to bring out a collection? Um, so it was really from there that uh, the idea of coming out with a, a manuscript of, of short stories um, 
had its ignition um, and I'm, I'm very thankful to, to Influx Press and, and the encouragement that, that they gave um, to me in my writing and um, I'm really glad to be part of how uh, their small press has just grown and grown and grown you know they published um, Boy Parts last year um, which I know many of my students now are writing essays about so it's it's wonderful to be part of, of that ecosystem and I was I was very lucky uh, to, to find Influx Press and them to find me. And when you're when you're putting together a collection of short stories, um, you know how do you decide what sits in that collection? Or you know, it's not presumably just gathering up the last five short stories you've written and saying, right, that's a collection, and, and putting it forward. What's the process there? Yeah, I mean, um, as a kind of spoiler warning <laughs> for anyone <laughs> that would might want to read the, the collection, a lot of the stories are very similar, and it tends to be a narrator kind of being gobsmacked by something very quietly and then just reeling a little. Um, and once you see them one after the other collected together, um, to my editing eye, it just seemed as if it really was kind of one note just being struck and over and over again. So having to collect the stories together and see them as one unit um, or, or shape it as if it could be understood in that way, um, it was a case of trying to see whether in terms of length it would be worth kind of modulating have lots of little staccato short ones and then one longer one um or would it make sense to have uh all the ones in the first person maybe grouped at the beginning and then have one in the third person just just so that the reader as a browsing animal might enjoy a kind of complexity within yeah. the collection um rather than just feel like they're having the same story in, in different circumstances um and that meant that uh in terms of when the manuscript came out uh, i knew that the title I wanted for the whole collection was um, Attribute and Other Stories. And Kit, my editor at, at Influx, uh, pointed out very kindly that we didn't actually have a short story called Attrib. Um, so that was one of the last ones that was written kind of on spec in order to um, provide a reason for that title. Uh, but I'm, but I'm, it ended up being one of my favourite stories, I think because of that, because it, it had maybe a bit more chutzpah behind it um, or adrenalised fear of the deadline, um, energising some of it. So I... Um, was able with with that story in particular to think about the collection in terms of motifs in mm. terms of well what's what would be before it and what would be after it um but i i didn't find it a a, a natural part of my writing to to think in terms of well what would be the best order it, it was a case of lassoing what was what was already out there um and then selecting an order that would make sense and um is your i mean we'll talk about your your novel uh, shortly but um is your approach to writing short stories the same as writing a piece of longer fiction? Do, are you someone that that will plan something out, or or do you like to sort of take an idea and then and then just see where it takes you? I think with the short stories, it's the latter. So I I I think with all of them, really, I started off with either an image or um, a attention that I wanted, I knew I'd want to feature in the, in the story and a context for that image or for that tension would emerge quite quickly um, around, yeah, that central point. While with the novel, um, I knew that I wanted to write about a topic and that, that maybe is similar, but I wasn't sure in the planning stages for, for the novel, 
how I was going to treat that topic. It seemed like I had far more options. Maybe that's just because a longer word count, but also more pitfalls um, mm -hmm. and directions that I might go in that would end up just um, not being useful or um, I'd have to write myself out of a problem rather than write towards something. Um, so I, I did need to, to plan a lot more for, for the novel just because I felt like I, maybe it's because I couldn't get away with something like a sharp shock or a, a glimpse um, that ambiguity can make this uh, with a short story. The ambiguity can feel kind of elevating or mm -hmm. can feel um, exciting while uh, a kind of onslaught of ambiguity in a novel, it, it kind of feels like something too loose perhaps. Um, so yeah, I, th I think in terms of my, my training uh, with writing, that was something I had to learn quite quickly that I, I couldn't just um, sit down or I found that I couldn't sit down and just rattle off a chapter um, and know where the characters would have to end up or, mm -hmm. or know the kind of tonal variation that would be necessary. Um, and I'm very jealous of those writers that, that can. Um, so uh, I guess this is more of an admission than it is <laughs> necessarily a, a discipline comment. But yeah, I think that is a difference for me. Well, let's let's have a chat about your book, um, and and also um, tell us what what it's 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 about, and also tell us um, why you made that jump into the novel world from the short story, which was also quite interesting here. Yeah, so the novel um, it's called The Liar's Dictionary, and it is basically about fictitious entries in dictionaries, um, that high octane world of lexicography, <laughs> uh, the intrigue that dogs those that read dictionaries, um, and. Really, the idea for it came from reading a, a New Yorker article um, about these real fictitious entries that exist in, in real dictionaries and encyclopedias. Um, and the idea of, at that time, to my mind, a lexicographer was someone who cared a lot about the truth and about definition and was probably quite dry and methodical and committed to this idea of um, establishing what language is and not what it could be or, or missteps or, or really I didn't think of it as a creative act um, and the idea of someone making up fake words to insert into the text of a dictionary seemed to me like something far more mischievous and surreptitious and, and creative in a, in a tricksy way um, so I just had this topic just rattling around in, in my head for, for a while um, I I uh, part of my my PhD was about fictitious entries in dictionaries, and in fact, a draft of the novel comprised a, a practice based research component um, of that PhD. So I, I got quite entrenched in, in this as a topic, um, and I felt that actually the fact of a dictionary as something monolithic and and too big and um, a too ambitious compendium of language that is impossible um, that I wanted to see whether the ambition of a novel might actually be might more suitable for that topic than a short story. I think um, there's an amazing short story uh, called The Labour of Moles by, I've forgotten who it's by, I think it's by Ivan Lad. I'll, I'll look it up. I'm sorry. We, 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 we'll look it up and we'll see it in, yeah, in, in the podcast. Some automated yeah. voice will yeah. be like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, it's all about, I really recommend you read it, but it's it's all about how a word in the dictionary becomes this um, thrilling 
murder mystery and it's done so cleverly and so poetically um and i know that i wouldn't get across the idea of um how the power of a dictionary and the kind of absurd position that a dictionary takes in terms of dynamics of of power and um who gets to say what and how do we arrange languages in terms of critical registers and vocabulary that is slang versus vocabulary that is esteemed or kind of proper English. Um, I, If I attempted that to get all that across in a short story, I think I'd maybe be selling it a bit short. Um, again, another writer will be able to do it brilliantly. Um, but I felt that if I was going to write a novel, this had enough themes in it and enough characters were occurring to me that corresponded with those themes that I thought that maybe something a little bit longer would would suit would fit the bill I mean it's it's a fact like um, before uh, I read about the Liars Dictionary I, I hadn't even been aware that there were these fictitious entries in, in dictionaries yeah, same here. it's quite an uh, you know it's one of these little kernels of truth that lots of people won't know about and is really interesting to explore and and the novel has um dual timelines as well was was that um uh, difficult to to sort of make it all fit together in the way that you wanted um yeah at, at one point um uh, my wife who's a writer uh, and has um been married to me throughout the writing of this novel and has seen me go through various kind of manic bursts or um tragic bursts depending on how it goes. <laughs> um she's seen at one point I was going to write, I was going to attempt to write the novel as uh, as a dictionary so it would right. have words that would then be defined with with, hmm. with a narrative. Wow, oh, yeah. And it would have been a brilliant idea. Uh, I was not up to the task. So <laughs> that's, I'm, that's a hard task to picture. <laughs> right. There's this picture of me just surrounded by all these literally cut and pasted uh, head words with definitions just going, ah, um, I'm very glad I didn't pursue it necessarily in, in that way. Um, but in terms of establishing the dual timeline, it felt like alternating the chapters according to um, still having the constraints of, of the alphabet with the 26 chapters, but alternating between Winsworth in the 19th century as um, the focus of the story and, and Mallory uh, as the contemporary story. Um, it felt like a clear enough way of showing those two timelines without requiring the reader to spool back or to find connections um, or to privilege one over the other, in a way. I think that privileging will happen, or that interest in the characters' storylines will happen as as a reader is more interested in one than the other. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to have that regularity of of patterning for the, for the two sections. So it ended up being quite simple to uh, structure it that way. Um, but maybe that simplicity was hard won through lots of false <laughs> <Yeah>. starts <laughs> and attempts. How did you find it? writing the novel compared to writing short stories was it a lot harder I mean obviously it's a lot harder than well I see obviously was it harder than writing short stories or was there a freedom I suppose in having the space to really you know go where you wanted to and really delve deep into character stuff yeah I think I think both in that there there was that freedom that that felt like a release and a relief that you know it needn't be a digression to wonder about a backstory or to yeah. um, maybe I, I mean, maybe the indulge is the wrong word, but it could be justified within the text to mm. include um, what in a short story would be extraneous or might be kind of background detail that might uh, 
delay some of the motifs or kind of a central conceit of a short story. Um, but with that freedom came the realization that, well, what if this is all just elaboration? <laughs> and if this is a <laughs> if this is a novel about language, if I am imprecise, then I'm I'm kind of underserving the uh, themes of of what precision is and and what's possible about it. So I think um, possibly this is me. It is me overthinking it, and that what should be important is whether um, there is satisfaction <laughs> with the with the uh, narrative um, or, or with the the images that are, are found there. But I did feel that while the novel allowed me more room to to explore, um, it meant that I then had to understand the remit that I'd set for myself, um, and I, I think for that reason, with short stories. I tend to know when to, when to end them or how they're going to end because I will I, I'll tend to think that it I want it to end with this emotional feeling I want it to emotional feeling that's a terrible way of putting it I want it to end on this kind of beat I want it to have this misstep at the end or this neat conclusion. While with the novel I I wasn't sure for a long time whether I wanted the characters. Um, to get their comeuppance, to uh, have a twist at the end, to to leave a ambiguity kind of embedded into their narratives to show that um, there is no solving of, of language or, or the issues of lexicography offered by this novel. Um, and it it was, again, as with, with the collection of short stories, it was only kind of a couple of months before the proofs went out that I really decided on, on how to end it. Um, and... I guess this is justifying after the fact. Like I, I'm glad that I did it in that way because again, I I feel that it it felt like a, a natural gliding home uh, in writing the ending, um, rather than something that I'd decided early, yeah. early on and then had had to um, build up to or justify uh, in the kind of scrabble to get there. And and what about the the actual sort of rev- revision and you know editor's notes process and things like that? Does that differ greatly between novel writing and short stories? Um, I I mean, what strikes me the most, and again, it, I think it's a, a kind of horrified realization that that writing about language and authority in language. Um, getting proofreaders notes back saying like, okay, but you've misspelt uh, the character's name. Here. Is that, is that intentional? Is, is that what you wanted to do? Um, it's just galling in a whole new way. Um, I guess that's more to do with the, the uh, topic of, of the novel versus the short stories. Um, but no, I, I think uh, with, with the novel, actually in terms of editorial notes, it's interesting that um, being lucky enough to, to have had it translated in, in some other languages getting the notes back from translators where they're asking about, well, is this um, a, is this you being clever here? Is it being funny about being clever or are you not very good at writing? Kind of diplomatically while still maintaining any ego, come up with an answer to that uh, that would be, would be useful. Um, no, it's just, I, I'm so in awe of, of the translator's task generally and and seeing people working on on the book and and realizing on the one hand as i say kind of um 
horrified realizations about about the way things were phrased and why on earth did I do that but also seeing that there were decisions made that I don't necessarily have an answer to in terms of why I wanted this patterning or why this image should should work within a pun or, or within a wordplay or should fail within the wordplay um but seeing that forensic sentence by sentence uh reading and and having it played back to you uh, as if it wasn't your own voice, as if uh, with my control over the language completely taken away um, was really instructive for me. And I feel very lucky to um, have gone through that process. That must be, you know, in a in a work that is, as you say, so focused on on the, the, the way it's told, the structure, the words used and everything, to translate it in a way that works in different languages must be such a skill in itself to you know because it often it won't be just a literal translation it it wouldn't work that way so it, it is it, the work that translators do you know I, i've read uh, uh, quite a few books that have been translated from other languages into into english and th- there must be a you know it's never recognized i don't think you always see the author's name but you don't see the the translator's name it's not it's not made a big deal of yeah, so often um, it's it's hiding amongst the publication details rather mm-hmm. than um, up front on on the cover and bigger mm-hmm. than the author's name really as it should be. Um, and I know that some um, translators and, and various organisations have had campaigns to you know name the translator. Yeah. Um, and it's the little translation that that I've done. Um, uh, poorly, <laughs> very poorly, and not of my own work. Um, it's so idiosyncratic, mm-hmm. and um, because in part my interest in in the topic behind this novel, the research for the novel is about idiosyncrasy and eccentricity, and where people are unable to communicate well, or where they um, care too much about communicating well and actually end up saying very little. Um, it it just I'm so beholden to to the translator um, and. I mean, beholden to the idea of the trust that's there, um, but also that I have I have to trust that it it is up to them what it comes out as. I I don't want to be the person saying no 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 that that pun won't work mm-hmm. in Spanish mm-hmm. or like no no I need you to translate it directly from English because um, I have I've done the authorial work and I I need to step back at that point and let language flourish or, or um combust <laughs> after after the fact um but no that was it was a really really great process and the, the the books went on to be very well received it's won the betty trask award already and obviously it's now nominated for the desmond elliott prize it's on the shortlist i mean how do you feel about that i mean that must be a real satisfaction and a real um sign that it's that you know you've you've done, you've written a really good book I mean, I, I I take it very seriously because, you know, I, I really admire A.K. Blakemore and, and Rebecca Watson's work. Um, and I've been a big fan of A.K. Blakemore's poetry for a while, um, which, you know, that sounds like the kind of, um, oh, it's an honour to be thought of. But it is. <laughs> it's, it's an honour to be thought of. And it's a privilege to, to be read. Um, and especially something like uh, the Betty Trask Award, um, which is through the Society of Authors, which is the, the closest thing that writers have to a union in the United Kingdom, um, and the Desmond Elliott Prize, which is through the National Centre for Writing. Mm-hmm. Um, those are organisations that I, I really care about. 
Um, so I, I'm just thrilled to be considered and um, especially with a, a short list of, of that caliber. It's, it's great. Great. And um, what are you working on just now? What What's next in the pipeline? Well, I mean, you had an insight into how I leave things at the last minute. Um, <laughs> there's, uh, there's some uh, radio short stories, a, a cycle of, of uh, short stories for BBC Radio 4, um, all about chess uh, oh, that sorry. should be broadcast in October. Um, and if the producer is listening, those are hot on my keyboards <laughs> as we speak. Um, uh, but that's that's currently what's what's taking up uh, space on, on my desktop, yeah. Excellent. Nice. Uh, what was the last book that you read? Oh, well, the last book that I read um, was Stefan Zweig's Chess, because I'm researching <laughs> okay. um, the short, short, I guess, novella. Um, it's extraordinary. I really recommend it. Excellent. And uh, what about the last film that you watched? Oh, um, what was it? It was not good. Uh, <laughs> it was, to my shame, I should have come up with a better answer for this it was i think it's called the seventh day and it's about a contemporary exorcist all right um, oh, that brings a bill i mean this is not a recommendation <laughs> <laughs> but um if if you're looking to have something moving in the corner of your, your screen, then uh, it, it does that <laughs> that's my recommendation um what about uh, the last tv show that you watched or are watching um i'm watching uh your honor at the moment oh yeah um which uh something dreadful has just happened to the dog character in that so that's um looking forward to seeing how that's resolved <laughs> no, that's that's on uh the current yeah. series yeah that's on my list to watch on my <laughs> ever-growing list of things to get so is, is, is that is that one you would you would recommend watching as opposed to the seventh day yeah i think it it vacillates for me for, from being really excellent about character to being quite melodramatic and and working with with archetypes um so kind of subtlety and then ham (laughs) one (laughs) after the other um which uh yeah and it's i i don't know anything about new orleans um criminal justice system so i'm pretending it's a documentary (laughs) (laughs) and uh, the the very very last thing we do is a super quick fire either or and i always say there's no right answers apart from one so the first one is tv or cinema cinema um night owl or early bird night owl fancy restaurant or a takeaway takeaway uh real book or ebook Real book. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was the incorrect answer there. Tarek's the big ebook advocate on the podcast. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really falling behind the numbers this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really good. For me. <laughs>